I think you refer to a, a case which is currently pending on uh, before the court. That's the case between Ukraine and the Russian Federation concerning uh, the Genocide Convention of 48. The, the dispute, the case dealt with by the court, uh, doesn't relate directly to the use of force because the question is, has not been submitted to the court. For that, both parties should agree and, and there is no consent given by the parties to that uh, issue. Uh, but both states are parties to the Genocide Convention, and uh, Ukraine considers that there is a dispute under the Genocide Convention because um, uh, the Russian Federation alleged that there would be uh, genocide committed uh, in Ukraine, and that was a reason for its intervention for the Russian intervention in, in Ukraine. And uh, therefore, according to Ukraine, there is a dispute. That's a wrong allegation. And uh, no state could be subject to the use of force on the basis of allegation of genocide. That's the dispute uh, before the, the court. And Ukraine, at the same time it submitted its application to the court, requested the court to indicate provisional measures. That means that, that uh, when there is urgency and there is the, the risk of irreparable harm to the, the right of a state, the court may indicate provisional measures. Those provisional measures are uh, binding, upon both parties, and in this particular instance, in March 2022, the court uh, delivered an order on provisional measures. It's an interim order without prejudice to the merits of the case. And uh, looking at the situation, the court considered that the rights of Ukraine uh, could be damaged, there could be irreparable harm, and therefore requested the Russian Federation to withdraw and to stop its operation. Uh, it was not complied with. But to that, I would say, if uh, it's an example uh, against the credibility of the action of the court, I would say first that uh, provisional measures are still binding, and both parties have to comply with international law. It means that ultimately, when the case will go on, on the merits, that's a question which may be also brought before the court. Is that something to keep in mind? Uh, second, uh, I would refer to instances where provisional measures were complied with. And I can uh, refer to many examples. I can, uh, for example, um, illustrate what I just said with the uh, case of the temple Preavira between Cambodia and Thailand, where uh, there was a risk of confrontation uh, between the two countries. Military um, incidents took place. And there, Cambodia uh, brought the case before the court, uh, sought uh, the indication of uh, provisional measures, and the court took uh, an order uh, asking both parties to withdraw from a certain perimeter around the uh, temple, which is located on a, a, a promontory, and it was complied with immediately by both states. Does that that shows that the decision was efficient? Is there any way in which the court 
can bring pressure on Russia to halt what the Secretary General and other senior UN officials have declared is clearly a violation of the UN Charter and international law. Is there any role whatsoever, or are you essentially a bystander? Well, it's a good question, but it's also a question which uh, forces you to put the court on the map. Uh, We are at the UN, and there are different organs fulfilling different responsibilities. The Security Council has a special role in the maintenance of peace and security, um, and the court is there to settle disputes, not to exercise influence. It's, it's to settle disputes brought to it by states, and the court cannot take and choose, select disputes and deal with that. It needs the consent of both parties to a dispute in order for the court to deal with it. In this particular instance, uh, in the case between Ukraine and, and Russia, I refer to the convention, the genocide convention of 48, because both parties, Ukraine and Russia, Russia, are parties to this convention. And there is an article, a provision, Article 9 in this convention, which gives competence to the court to deal with any dispute relating to the convention. Thus, that is a possibility for the court to act it's not a bystander. It's there as an international court. It's not a political organ. It's an organ of the UN, but it's the principal judicial organ. It's for that, you need a case and a dispute. And uh, if you give a dispute to the court, the court will certainly deal with that and give a decision. It's for that, But for that, you need a case to be submitted to the court. Uh, The court exists to promote peace and legality between states and to avert war, providing a forum for settlement of disputes. Do you feel the court is being left behind as aggressive nationalism, hate speech and disinformation is on the rise? Uh, As I said, uh, the court is available to deal with any question involving alleged breach of international law. And there are rules preventing hate speech or uh, uh, conduct against some ethnic group, for example. I already referred to the Genocide Convention. There is another convention which has been the basis for several cases before the court. That's the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. And recently there was a case introduced uh, by Armenia against Azerbaijan and another case a bit later by Azerbaijan against Armenia on the basis of the third, the Convention on the Elimination of All um, Forms of Racial Discrimination. States may uh, see such an opportunity in order to bring disputes involving alleged violation of those instruments. There are more instruments, but for that you need treaties containing clause for the settlement of disputes, whereby states agree in advance that whenever there is a dispute they may bring the case to the court. What can you do to convince the public that the court is still relevant and effective? Could you highlight some of the cases this year away from the international headlines where the court has been working well? Of course. I can uh, give such uh, examples. 
delimitation issues, for example, are, are bread and butter for the court. Uh, does the standing uh, number of cases involving delimitation of borders, terrestrial or maritime, uh, it may be complicated, complex issues. Uh, at the same time, it may lead to uh, hostility. This is very important that uh, uh, sovereignty is at stake. And uh, there are a number of cases currently there, are, but also uh, in the past where the court dealt with those disputes, uh, gave a ruling, and that was peace uh, between the two states. And peace is of the interest of international community, and the public opinion is convinced. Also the protection of the environment. The court may render decision as delivered decision in, in this respect, and that's a major concern for the public opinion. Because the public opinion should be encouraging, I would say, making pressure on, on state, in, uh, on their government, in order to uh, push them, to uh, indicate to them that uh, that's a viable, viable option to bring a matter to a court. Uh, and... and um, it's, it's efficient, I would say, if you look at the, the record of decisions which have been rendered so far. What is working well and what could be improved in terms of how the ICJ works with UN bodies, especially in the field of human rights? <laughs> Just a few days ago, the Commission of Inquiry of the Occupied Palestinian Territory said it would push the, to refer Israel's occupation to the court. Can you explain how that could happen and what the consequences could be? Uh, well, I've uh, mentioned that uh, the court is available to states when it comes to contentious cases. There is a possibility, and I have referred to that for the Security Council or even the General Assembly to encourage, to indicate to states that they can submit their dispute to the, to the court. Uh, but it's still a decision to be taken by the state's concern. When you look at the United Nations as such, there is also a competence which can be attracted in, when it comes to intergovernmental organizations, and um, in particular the UN. That's a request for an advisory opinion. Because the court has a twofold jurisdiction. It can decide through binding decision on disputes, contentious case. But it has also the possibility to render, deliver advisory opinions on a legal question. But it has no binding value, but it has certainly an authoritative value. And if you look at the early examples of uh, advisory opinions delivered by the court in the 40s, 50s, that concerns mostly the law of United Nations. For example, are the states obliged to contribute to the budget of the court? Things like that. This, when it comes to human rights, there is a possibility for organs of the United Nations to seek an advisory opinion. The General Assembly did in some instances. This, that's a possibility. And uh, regarding a case involving humanitarian aspects. I may refer to the construction of the, the wall in the Palestinian territories. Uh, that, was also, that was an advisory opinion delivered by 
by the court, taking into account the applicable law in the field, that means the 1907 uh, uh, the Hague con Convention, also Geneva Convention, the Ford Convention, and also certain rules of uh, human rights, like the 66 Covenant on uh, Civil and Political Rights. This, that, that, that was a, a contribution of the court to clarify which are the rules which are applicable on the ground. That's a possibility. But when it comes to the organs of the United Nations, that would be true, an advisory opinion. Justice does not move swiftly when it comes to the court's proceedings. Are you concerned that if more and more states resort to force and ignore the court, the UN overall will lose authority and credibility? What would the world look like without the ICJ being there? Well, there are two questions, I think. Uh, regarding the, the pace of justice, of course, uh, justice delayed, justice denied. Uh, I would say that when it comes to the court, uh, that, that I, I need to make some comments. First, um, there is a possibility for uh, taking urgent measures. I have already indicated that the court can take provisional measures, interim measures of protection, spending the decision on the merits. If there is a risk and uh, if you wait too long, the rights will disappear, will fade away, well, you can seek, and more and more states do that, uh, seek provisional measures, you know, and they, those are binding. This, it's a very efficient tool. Because that is one way of avoiding this criticism of uh, justice which is too long. Second, I would say that when a case is submitted to the court, of course, it involves sovereign states. And sovereign states want to articulate their claims properly. They want to explain their case, convince the court. It means that uh, an important part of the time is taken by the written pleadings. Memorial, counter-memorial, reply, rejoinder between the applicant and the respondent. It may take one, one year. It can take six months if the state uh, wants a quick decision, fast decision. It can take two years or even more. Does that, it's largely in the hands of the states. But once the court meet to hear the parties, that's the hearing, uh, after six months there is a decision. Because it's not too long when you consider international justice, but the, the rest is taken really by the states which want to make advantage, to take advantage of, of the possibility of really uh, being successful in conducting, in, in, in convincing the court. I have to say that uh, with the increase in the number of cases, the court took action. And for the time being, the court is dealing in parallel with two, three cases at the same time. So it's a full docket. There are, let's say, more or less four judgments per year, plus uh, orders in provisional measures. So it's, the, the court has increased its, its pace. No, you ask me, of course, I wouldn't be here if there would be no world court. I would not have the pleasure to, to be in your studio. Um, but uh, to be more uh, serious, I mean, 
if there would be no world court, uh, it means that we would come back to a story of Babel or, or uh, some form of barbarism because uh, without the court, it means that, uh, or world court, it means that e the, the, the rules cannot be tested. Let's imagine uh, municipal law without court. If you complain about your neighbors, there is no body to hear your dispute. And that means terrible consequences. This is the same at international level. If there is no court in order to reach a decision, and that means you need access to the court, you need to develop, to promote recourse to a jurisdiction, because the difference between municipal law and international law is that in municipal law, the judge will not ask you whether you agree to its, its or her competence. In international law, yes, uh, you need to give consent. That's the big difference. But it works. There, there are cases submitted to the court. Cases rely on the court heavily. They trust the court. Therefore, without the court, it means there would be no trust in international legal order, in international law, and, and that would not mean a, a very nice world.